Let's get to the headlines. Hello and welcome to Healthcare Strategies Headlines Edition. Woo. Today's episode, we have the doctor's impact on healthcare costs, employee healthcare costs soar, a partial solution to clinical satisfaction, and health system prescribes renewable energy. Hello, audience listeners. This is Kyle Murphy, Vice President of Editorial Intelligent Healthcare Media, and I am joined by Kelsey Waddell, Senior Hello. Editor, Multimedia Manager, mm-hmm. All Things Payer. How are you, Kelsey? Doing good. Doing good. So, almost Halloween. Almost Halloween. And on that subject, well, by the time we record next week, it will be Halloween proper. So, in anticipation. Mm -hmm. Favorite Halloween candy? It's always Reese's. It's never going to be anything else. The older I get, the more I realize that chocolate and peanut butter were meant for each other. It's the classic, and for a reason. I take it a step further. I go Snickers, but I think that's kind of the obvious choice for many reasons. But that's caramel. Uh, Well, it's... Peanut butter and caramel. (laughs) Never a Milky Way, but definitely a Snickers. Least favorite candy. Least favorite candy? Laffy Taffy. Does that even count? It can count. Whatever those doorstop marshmallow things were, I I think they probably discontinued those because I'm a child of the 80s. I think I know what you're talking about. But that was just, yeah, that was just like, here, throw this in the trash. (laughs) It's like when someone gives you a flyer on the street. I don't know if I've had one of those, but I imagine that they would get very very stale and hard very fast yeah, yeah. <laughs> not not good not to mention that they weren't wrapped yeah and usually just somebody oh, giving you this in like a plastic bag which that seems like a public health problem this <laughs> uh, halloween can be dangerous although fortunately things are pretty safe nowadays so yeah. i'm looking forward to trick-or-treating so be good to all your trick-or-treaters in your neighborhood if you yeah. see any give them reese's give them reese's if you love them give them the other things if you don't all right, let's get into today's headlines. You ready? Yes, let's go. All right, the doctor's impact on healthcare costs. Per RevCycle Intelligence, a recent study indicates that physician-owned hospitals could save Medicare over $1.1 billion. Wow. Conducted by professors from UConn Health and Loyola University of Chicago, the study found that total payments were significantly lower at physician-owned hospitals compared to traditional hospitals for treating Medicare patients with the 20 most expensive conditions. Hmm. The patient populations in both physician-owned and traditional hospitals were statistically similar, making the payment differences unrelated to demographic or comorbidity profiles. Physician-owned hospitals treated Medicare beneficiaries with the most expensive conditions at 8 to 15% lower cost compared to traditional hospitals. <laughs> the research supports current congressional debates on amending laws to allow the expansion of physician-owned hospitals. Who would have thunk it? Yeah. Physicians owning the hospitals. <laughs> However, the American Hospital Association opposes such legislation. I couldn't see why. Arguing that these hospitals select patients who maximize profits, thereby undermining full-service hospital care. I would never have expected them to take that position. Kelsey, around 250 hospitals are physician-owned out of more than 6,000 hospitals in the U.S. Yes, I can see your eyebrows raising. Yes. Site of care determines cost, but did you ever think that the hospital ownership has such an impact on cost? I'm, I'm kind of shocked that physician ownership is a novel idea or seems to be a novel idea. I mean, seems like the people who run the place should own the place, but... <laughs> <laughs> I am flabbergasted. Do you not know how capitalism works? Man. All right, what's next? Let's see. So while physician-owned hospitals are saving dollars, employees are watching their wallets get thinner and thinner due to health care costs. The KFF Employer Health Benefits Survey 2023 came out last week, and the results were not great for workers. So here are a few of the top stats. 
There was a 7% increase in annual family premiums. In dollars, that's on average about 23968 in premiums this year. Yikes. Yeah. The amount that workers contribute to family premiums increased $500 to hit $6,575 annually. Ouch. And the results show also that where you work does make a difference. Small business employees got the short end of the stick, mm. had larger deductibles with an average of $2,434 versus... At larger firms, they had $1,478 deductibles. And then around one in four small business workers paid at least $12,000 annually in premiums for family coverage. To put this in a sort of larger context, last year we saw some pretty steady numbers for premium growth. However, over the last five years, we've seen premiums jump 22%, which is crazy. At the same time, wages have gone up 27%. And inflation grew 21%. So... Not good numbers. Yeah. Yeah, not great. Sadly, it's not expected to get better from here. Nearly a quarter, 23% of employers plan to increase workers' contributions in the next two years, even though about six out of 10 employers also said that their employees were concerned about cost-sharing affordability. So they're like, we see that. <laughs> But we're going to raise it anyway. <laughs> so, Kyle, that's a lot of numbers, but I think it's safe to say that affordability in healthcare is not looking good for most people in employer-sponsored health plans. And it's clear that employers know this. So what do you think will be the implications of these stats for workers and for their companies? I mean, it's tough, right? The way the American healthcare system is set up, your employment dictates your healthcare coverage by and large. We are seeing the trends in terms of high deductible plans. So I have to think that the, the impact is negative in terms of what people, how they'll be using their care. If you know that you're going to be paying more, I think you're going to be a lot more selective. I think the things that folks need to think about as they use their coverage is focusing on those services where cost sharing is not a huge factor, preventive mm -hmm. care. So get your shots, get your immunizations, get all that work done that is part of your regular maintenance. And then when you're sick... You know, you're probably going to avoid your PCP when you're sick. You're going to go to urgent yeah. care or a walk-in where the cost is much more affordable. And sadly, that creates a more fragmented experience. Mm -hmm. But in terms of being a savvy shopper these days, that's what you have to do. From an employer standpoint, I think it just stinks because you have inflation. You have employees rightfully demanding higher wages. But higher wages then comes at a higher total cost because your benefits go on top of that. I think if you... One of the, the the tidbits you shared was the variation between small businesses and larger firms. There has to be some kind of collective sharing or collective bargaining that goes on to drive the premiums down or to increase the, the breadth of benefits. But as you can see, and as we know, there's not as much transparency right. in, in healthcare coverage and health plan design yeah. as one would think in this day and age. Yeah, it's in a lot of the other industries. There's eh. our transparency. Oh, that you don't need it. <laughs> doesn't work. Here's some positive news. A partial Good. solution to clinical satisfaction because you want your doctor to be happy. Yes. Because they might actually be able to take care of you Yeah. in a more meaningful way. Per EHR Intelligence, healthcare organizations are increasingly turning to self-directed e-learning as a cost-effective EHR training method to complement with an e traditional instructor-led training, according to a class report. Clinician endorsement of e-learning for EHR training increased from 67% in 2021 to 83% wow. in 2023. It's pretty good. It's a big Positive trend. Yeah. The gap in satisfaction between in-person and e-learning has narrowed, indicating that well-executed e-learning can be almost as effective as in-person training. 
Quality virtual training is associated with better clinician experiences and de- decreased reports of burnout. That's good. I need that. No one likes to burn out. You just no. better slowly fade away. God bless you, Neil Young. Clinicians satisfied with e-learning were 73 times more likely to report satisfaction with IT leadership related to EHRs. Newer clinicians are more likely to engage with e-learning due to their prior exposure to similar platforms during education. This is the virtual remote learning demographic finally coming to bear on the workforce. Overall, the shift towards e-learning reflects improvements in program quality and a greater willingness among clinicians to engage with digital education formats. Kelsey, you and I do remote work an awful lot. Yep. Remote work has become part of the new normal. Yeah. You know, it's about time education and training kind of followed suit, wouldn't you think? Yeah, I think so. I mean, it also expands access to these topics. And I mean, clearly clinicians who are pretty short on time, it might help them get to catch up in other settings as well. So yeah, seems like it's about time. It would seem to be a lot better to do this at your own time, learn at your own pace, because we right. know that not everyone learns the exact same way. Yeah. And sometimes people benefit from being in different environments. I can't imagine trying to be in a clinical environment doing your training. Yeah. Feels natural. Maybe we should treat these people like humans. I think that that's, that's the moral of this people whole say, podcast, I'm, I'm really. Rather, I'm rather progressive. <laughs> <laughs> So, Speaking of advancements. <laughs> so One Health System is prescribing renewable energy to its patients. Boston Medical Center Health System, BMCHS, is going where no health system has gone before, at least according to their press release. And they've developed a pilot program in which providers can write a prescription for a lower utility bill. So for in this pilot, 80 lower income households with eligible patients will get a discount on their utility bill to the amount of around $50 per month, which will cut down household costs on average by around $600 per year. And given the need for solid AC and heating in Boston, as we both know, Kyle, being residents of the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, this represents about a 30% discount on the average Bostonian's electrical bill, which is... Nothing to sniff at. BMCHS is providing the energy itself by installing solar panels on an administrative building and conducting that renewable energy to its pilot participants through virtual net metering, which will be facilitated by Eversource and the SMART program from the Massachusetts Department of Energy Resources. And the hospital system is leveraging the 2022 Inflation Reduction Act's low-income communities bonus credit in order to do so. So the goal here is obviously to improve social determinants of health for nearby communities and for their patients, not just by lowering costs that might prevent them, as we were talking about earlier, from being able to cover healthcare needs, but also by hopefully endorsing a cleaner environment in Boston overall. So Kyle, it seems like providers are coming up with some increasingly creative and exciting ways to address social determinants of health. And it's always hard to like kind of measure the impacts, but there's a lot of excitement in this space, and having been in this field for a while now, what do you think about the progress that we've made so far? I think that there's – now that we get to something tangible, to me, this is real. Like when you talk about access to food, we talk about access to energy. For for folks who are lower on the economic scale, you're choosing sometimes between energy <laughs> and food. Yeah. So – and we know that living in a, in a difficult environment or being malnourished is, is, is not exactly good for your health. So it, it makes a lot of sense. You know, hospitals and health systems have stood up a lot of infrastructure over the years. It's probably about time some of that leaks back out into the community. And, you know, I think 
really at this point any step towards towards helping folks out, helping communities out is a step in the right direction. Hopefully this this serves as a model for a future advancement, but mm-hmm. I think if you're if you're in the business of healthcare for the right reasons, you know, the ethical kind of moral moral reasons, you're trying to improve the health and well-being of individuals and that is something that occurs by and large outside of a medical setting in right. everyone in someone's day-to-day life. So, it only stands to reason that if you cared that much, you'd care more of the time rather yeah. than less of the time. Yeah. And not just for individual patients, but for communities. I mean, this is affecting households, not just an individual patient. We know, we know for a fact that healthier communities, quality of life improves. People are more productive. People are happier. When people mm-hmm. are happy, they, they tend to do a lot more. Right. They tend to have a lot more satisfaction. And the, you know, the knock-on effects of those are, are, by and large, positive. So I think we should be doing a whole lot more to improve community health, by addressing these individual health and socioeconomic factors. And with yes. that, that's a, that's a good way to end the podcast, don't you I think? I think so. All right, everybody, that wraps up today's episode. Make sure to follow us on Apple, Spotify, or any place where you digest your podcasts. Have a great week. Bye-bye. This is a Tech Target production.